Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer at Schaefer Vineyards, and we're talking today with a good friend of mine and a neighbor who's got a great story that goes from Brazil to New York to Napa. She's knocking it out of the ballpark at Chimney Rock Winery, and if you don't know her, now's the time. So let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer, and today we've got one of my favorite Stag's Leap District neighbors. We do a lot of things together, usually promoting Stag's Leap District in the Napa Valley, but I've never had a chance to hear her whole story, so today is the day. Welcome to Elizabeth Viana, General Manager, winemaker of Chimney Rock Winery. Elizabeth, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Doug. Thanks so much. This is so cool for us to actually get to chat a bit. I know because we're usually at these things and we're, you know, promoting wine, talking wine. And it's like, you know, we never have a chance to say, hey, you know, what's going on in your life? So, so exactly. Um, I know you've you've had dinner at my property. I've had dinner at your property, <laughs> but we never get to chat. So I know. All good to is, fix it. All we do is tease each other about our wines in front of people. That's always fun. Um, So anyway, a lot to cover here. We've got the Chimney Rock story for anyone who doesn't know that, but but there's your story, which I'd I'd like to start with because I think it's pretty cool. So let's start there. It starts in Brazil. Is that right? Yeah. So I am Brazilian born. My dad's Brazilian. Um, My mom is from El Salvador. I was born in Brazil and sort of Grew up all over. Um, I was in Brazil zero to three. I'll kind of make it short. That I, we hopped to the U.S. Lived in the U.S. from three to nine. Went back to Brazil nine to sixteen, <laughs> and then back to the U.S. So an adventuresome childhood. <laughs> that must have been you know, as children we we just roll with the punches. But looking back on it, was that traumatic I don't, probably not but or was it exciting or just was what was it what's your recollection of going back and forth like that you know I, I think my my parents lead led by example and kind of always made it seem like it was an adventure um i, I can't even remember how many different schools i went to but uh we lived in Los Angeles we lived in Illinois we lived in Massachusetts and then we went <laughs> back to Brazil so I would say that it was challenging for a kid, right? You're right. like the new kid in school. I know, I know we have that in common. I know you got to move your last year of high school too. I think, you know, in retrospect, I wouldn't trade it for anything mm-hmm. because it, it's, it made me who I am, right? And I'm kind of an adaptable human being. And I love people because, you know, I got exposed to a lot of different things at a young age. So um, not traumatic, but definitely challenging. Of course. And but you're right. It makes you flexible. I mean, we're and adaptable. We were talking about silver linings before we started. Um, and that's one. I mean, you're able to because I've seen you in action. You can you you can handle or deal with anybody anytime <laughs> so i mean you you've got that 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 knack which is really cool but what was what why were you guys moving what was it was your is your dad's career or your mom's my dad's career okay. yeah so dad dad's a chemical engineer okay uh and he uh started actually in the sugarcane business 
Um, so mostly import-export from Brazil in the beginning. Then he got a job with a small company in Los Angeles, worked there for a year. Then he got a job with, um, you'll laugh at this, with Dicolite, which is a company that produced diatomaceous earth. Oh yeah, I remember for, Dicolite forever. Yeah, remember that? For yeah. DE for DE filtrations in the winery. So, <laughs> so dad was working for Dicolite and then he ended up working for um, a subsidiary of um, Raytheon out of Massachusetts. And Raytheon was dealing with petrochemicals and uh, they actually moved my dad back to Brazil. So we lived in Massachusetts for a little bit and then they decided they wanted him to open an area division down in Brazil for them. And uh, so we went back down there. And (laughs) And then from there he worked for Petrobras, who brought him back to the U.S. So um, just, you know, kind of full circle. Citizen of the world. Um, Any siblings? Yeah, we're we're a good traditional Latin family. There you go. We are are six kids. Wow. I know. Big family. Uh, Big big and complex. Uh, Dad was married before he met my mom, so I've got three sisters, but we're very close from his prior marriage. And then um, my parents had four biological kids and then uh, actually adopted my sister. So that actually makes eight, doesn't it? Wow. That's yeah. great. <laughs> Big families. That's fun. And, yep. and so growing up, uh, was there wine in the house? Was that around and were you exposed to that? Or, or I'm, I'm always curious about that. Absolutely, yeah. So my oh. dad definitely had an affinity for the fine things in life. He loved good wine. Uh, he had, actually he prided himself at, in once buying two bottles of the 1945 Mouton Rothschild um, <laughs> from a restaurant closing sale in Sao Paulo. So he, he definitely appreciated fine wine. And um, I think this is probably kind of crazy, but in Brazil, you know, my parents, they would pour us a little splash and they would let us taste things that were at the table. So it was definitely part of the table for us. Um, but I, I didn't really, didn't think about it in depth at that point, but it was there. It was definitely a part of our, our, our makeup. That's great to hear. Um, I've done that with my kids. They're all, well, you know, you know, they've grown up around a lot of grape vines and winemaking. So, um, they've seen it forever. Um, and so, but all, moving around, did when you hit high school, was that in one spot or was that still moving from place to place? No, no, no such luck. I got to go to three different high schools. Oh man, uh, that's tough. I know, I know. First oh. year, first year was in Brazil. Second year, Massachusetts. Last two in New York, right outside of New York City. So, uh, yeah, but uh, like I said, tough. you know. High school years. It, yeah, high school years. That's not my favorite period. I will say that. No, I can't blame <laughs> you. Were you, were you. What were you? Were you into any activities, or was it tough because you kept moving around? You know, I had um, my first love was actually music, and um, I started playing piano when I was like seven years old. So music became kind of the way that I would bond with people, right? So I could immediately like join choir and do this. And um, music was always my 
kind of connector. So that that actually kind of helped me at least connect with like the musical kids right away. Um, so I had I had my tools. That was one of my tools. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm glad you had that. Um, I had that too. It was uh, I was in concert choir. This is in Chicago, and uh, it was a big big school and. Um, if you know music department band orchestra they put on a musical every year and then also sports was big big things so after high school where 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 to so it's funny my i was literally on the career track of becoming a concert pianist that's okay. what i was thinking i had studied with a couple of great teachers in brazil and then one at the boston conservatory um, and I was going to apply to like Juilliard and uh, the music school up at Rochester. And then kind of last minute, I, you know, just took a deep dive and, and thought, do I really want to play music for a living? Or will that, will that take something away from it? It was music had been kind of my you know, my happiest place. And I, I literally got scared that somehow if I had to make a living doing it, it would take away from it. So mm. lo and behold, I surprised my parents and said, no, you know what? I'm gonna apply to liberal arts schools. I think I'll, I'll continue to play, but I wanna explore other areas. And, um, and, and so I applied to liberal arts schools instead and ended up uh, landing at Vassar for my undergrad. Um, where right. I spent four years, yeah. Well, nice. You finally got one place for four years. That must have been kind of nice, yeah? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> you know what? I finally belonged somewhere yeah. for, the, for the first time in my life. And Vassar was a pretty uh, perfect school for me because there were kids from all over. Uh, a lot of them had also had similar experiences where they moved around or... Um, they were from all over the place, and I just felt like I fit in there, you know. And uh, so it kind of erased the, those like high school years pretty quickly for me. Good, good. I'm glad you had that. <laughs> so that, so uh, you know, college was it? Was it beer? Was it wine? You know, or it both? was beer. All above. It was, <laughs> it was beer and wine, but definitely not high end wine. I'll just say I. I recall a, you know, probably bottles of Hardy Gallo Burgundy at parties in my group. So at that point, it was about cost, right? It wasn't about um, sophistication. So, so, but but wine was present certainly mm -hmm. in a in its in a very uh, weird stage. <laughs> right, I'm with you. It was just it was there, but it wasn't like. You weren't thinking of career in wine at that point. It, not at okay, all. Okay, not at yeah. all. Just wanted to clarify that. Okay, good. So Vassar, you get out in Vassar in when? Um, what year? So I graduated in 89. And basically I had majored in biology and I was pre-med. And I'd gone from, you know, wanting to play music to thinking I needed to save uh, children. <laughs> so I, uh, I now wanted to become a pediatric oncologist. We had a family friend who had been a mentor who I loved, who was a pediatric oncologist. And I think he kind of inspired me. And I mean, I was taking it pretty seriously. I did an internship at Mount Sinai Hospital like one summer in college. And um, I, I really, you know, I, I thought I was really committed. And 
um, get out of college and decide, well, let's not quite go to medical school just yet. Let's, um, <laughs> okay. I, I had dreamt of living in New York City. This was like a thing in my mind that in order to live a full life, I had to live in New York City for a year or two or whatever. And so I applied for a couple of jobs uh, in New York. Um, the first one that I got ended up being in research. So I got a job at Cornell Med School in New York City doing uh, developmental neurobiology research. And it was just a means for me to, you know, make a living while I lived in New York and kind of um, enjoy life before I went off and borrowed money and went to medical school. And um, ironically, in that period, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine from Vassar and his dad um, had been a Wall Street guy and had collected a lot of great wine and had some some great wines in the cellar, like, you know, Grand Cru's, First Growth. And um, he was very generous and shared these wines with us. And he bought these all, like, in the 70s. Right. So they had some age and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're amazing. They were like nothing I had ever had. Um, and that sort of started, though, wait a minute, this is, this is a lot more than I ever realized. Um, those wines kind of stopped me in my tracks, literally. So it became kind of a hobby, you know, so I started going to tastings in New York and reading the Wine Spectator and, you know, getting my copy of Hugh Johnson and suddenly it was becoming a little bit of an obsession, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm still working and having a great time in New York. You know, you're in your 20s in New York, you're enjoying theater and music and making friends all over. It was, it was just a great, great period of my life, you know. And suddenly I, I realized, wow, six years have passed and here you are, you're still working in New York, no med school. What, you know, what's, what's next? So I happened to go to a tasting, a pre-auction tasting at Christie's, and uh, Christian Wex spoke at that. And he talked about going to UC Davis's graduate program in winemaking at this talk. And that was kind of my light bulb. You know, I said, what? A program in winemaking? Wow. Uh, that sounds interesting. So I like immediately uh, wrote to Davis, got the application and um, put it in a drawer. It was like, you're crazy. You're not doing that. That's, that's nuts. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then I, I, I remember having brunch with a really good friend of mine who's in the movie business. And he, um, I sat down and I was like, John, I have this crazy idea. Like I'm thinking maybe about going to winemaking school. And he knew me really well. He was a really, really close friend to this day. And he said, that's it. I can see it. Do it. <laughs> and, I, and I said, John, I think, let me wait for a year. Let me th sit on this for one more year. And then if I'm still gung-ho in a year, maybe I'll do it. And he said, don't wait. If you wait, you won't do it. Just do it. So, you know, I went back to that drawer, pulled out the application, filled it out, and um, applied to Davis. And... What's serendipitous about where I was is at this point I was working at a clinical lab and I had become kind of an expert in HPLC and uh, GC mass spec, which as you know, are the analytical instruments that you use to measure aroma compounds in wine and phenolics right. and 
So I had a skill that, um, and I had all the science classes that would help me get into Davis. So applied, got in, and next thing you know, Doug, I'm starting at Davis I, in 97. I, I, that's crazy. So I, I gotta ask you a question. Before you heard Christian speak, had you ever heard of UC Davis? Did you know there was like a wine school? I, I hadn't. Ah. I hadn't. I hadn't thought. I honestly, I had been That's crazy. exploring wine as a consumer, you know, and I hadn't even really started to think about the process or, or production or vineyards. I had not stepped foot in a, in a yeah. winery. Have you ever, yeah, had you been to the, vin, uh, the wine country or vineyards, I, upstate New I, York, anything? You know, I had been to two little wineries in New Mexico. That was my exposure <laughs> to a physical winery. Like, how funny is that? It's so, wild. I mean, I know, kind of insane. Okay, because I was one of my questions was how how did you find Davis? So it was Christian Moet. Christian, he, he, he's responsible. And I had a glass of 1985 Sociando Malay in my hand when he mentioned that. So I call that my aha wine because wow. it, it was. It was what was in my hand when I made the decision that would like change the course of my life completely. So, oh, that's great. So, Christian, those of you who don't know, he's the um, proprietor of Dominus here in Napa, and also uh, a fairly famous little winery called um, Petrus in <laughs> yeah, France. Yeah, right? Petrus. <laughs> so, all right. So you apply, you get accepted. All of a sudden, you're in Davis, California. That's not New York. Dorothy, right, and uh, right. Um, in the master's program. So how was how was that? Was anybody uh, anybody there classmates that um, stand out? You got to know well. They're, they're in the oh business yeah, now? absolutely. I mean, going to Davis was like going to heaven suddenly, right? Like I'm obsessed with wine, and suddenly I'm in a room with people who are equally obsessed. Um, so yes, absolutely, made lifelong friends there. Um, I, I'm sure you know some of them. Robbie Meyer was in my class. Sally Johnson up at Pride was in my class. Right. Um, let's see, Marisa Taylor up at Rutherford Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Erickson and Helen came the year after me, so they 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 were they were there. Who else is in my class? Anyway, these are Matt Rorick, who has a little brand called Forlorn Hope. Tim right. Milos also really, really good friend uh, and, you know, continue to be to this day. I mean, it's kind of this family that you instantly form, yeah, right? Yeah. When you when you get to Davis. So um, amazing time there. And I I started, I finally stepped foot in a winery, a real winery uh, in 1998. Uh, Peter Luthi at Trefethen gave me my first internship. Oh, cool. Yeah, I remember yeah. Peter. Good, at Trefethen. Yeah, at Trefethen. Yeah. And P- Peter, Trefethen was reputed at the time that I was at Davis to have one of the best internships because Peter really made sure that people kind of rotated through every aspect, you know. So I, I, I got to do everything from mm. modeling to, you know, to cork trials to vineyard stuff to learning how to take apart a ball valve, you know. Right, right. It was like, it was comprehensive. And uh, I still remember, you know, probably my f- one of my first days on the internship, like just looking up at the sky, seeing a red, a red-tailed hawk go by, and thinking, "Wow, I I can't I can't believe I'm I did this," you know, uh, just kind of 
knew that it was the right thing for me instinctively and and that this is where I was meant to be. It's bizarre. It makes no sense, but that's what it was. No, it's great. And uh, just for fun, how, how were your parents on this one? Because they probably never saw this coming either. Yeah, you know, my dad had had paid that bill for that Vassar education. Right. I'm, not, I'm not sure what what he thought. But, you know, my parents had always been supportive of any endeavor, whether it was the music thing and then when I changed my mind about music. Um, so they, you know, I, I think they, they were a little skeptical, but supportive nonetheless. And um, I think they have not come to regret being supportive. They now call me when it's time to send them another shipment of wine. So yeah. I think they really, they, they enjoy the perks. That's great. Yeah, I've got the same situation, the family. Hey, Dad, need some wine. Exactly. <laughs> I bet. So Trefethen and then uh, other internships while you were at Davis? Yeah, so my second internship um, was at Chimney Rock. Okay. I, yeah, I, was, I went to the job fair while I was in, at Davis, and um, Lila Bacchus was the assistant winemaker at Chimney Rock at the time, and she was a good friend of mine. You know, we had been um, schoolmates, and she was like, oh, come work at Chimney Rock. We'll have so much fun. And um, I took the job, of course, and... It, you know, I knew I wanted to make Cabernet from the get-go. Like, mm -hmm. th that was always my grape. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So Chimney Rock was a pretty sweet place to, to get that second internship, you know, with the estate vineyards right around the winery. Um, just a really great learning, learning place. And I, I loved it here. The vineyards were spectacular. I just, I just loved the place. Doug Fletcher was the winemaker at the time. Oh, Doug, yeah. And yeah, and he was, you know, he was just a Renaissance man. We, we laughed a lot. He loved opera and classical music, so we connected on that level as well. And um, yeah, had a great internship at Chimney Rock. Oh yeah, and Doug's a great, great winemaker. I bet you he was a great uh, mentor. You know, I'm he sure was. was. I can see that. He absolutely was. Miss him. Haven't seen him in a while. Um, so after graduation, what happens? So after graduation, I um, start applying for jobs. You know, and of course, you're just out of Davis, and in my mind, I. I had a vision of what I wanted, right? Like an estate grown, small winery, something mm -hmm. like Chimney Rock. Um, and um, I stumble upon a job position at um, Napa Wine Company. And it was a lab director position. Uh, and, you know, I go for the interview and I'm like, oh, it's a really big place. And, you know, it, they don't have any, they, they do have some vineyards, but you know, it, it, it wasn't what I envisioned for myself. So I remember I actually called Doug and I said, let's have lunch. Um, I, I, need, I need some, some counsel. And um, at the time at Napa Wine Committee, this was 2000, um, this was um, before a lot of 
a lot of little wineries hadn't been built. So um, like Heidi Barrett was making her wines there. Celia was making Staglin there. Um, who else was there? Erin Green was making all of Palmeyer there. Nickel and Nickel was being made there by Doris Spinelli. Okay. So, so Doug basically turned to me and said, well, duh, this is a great opportunity. <laughs> I, need, I, I need to interrupt real quickly. For those of you who don't know, Napa Wine Company, big operation um, run by a great family and they've, they've got their own label but their big business especially back in, in this era when Elizabeth was working there um, custom crush so if if you have a brand or a label and you don't have a facility you can bring your grapes in crush them there and they they, they age it they bottle they do the whole thing I think Elizabeth right that's so. exactly right yeah and Andy really Andy Hoxie mm -hmm. who's the you know, who runs it, who's just a, the loveliest gentleman. Um, he, he really favored bringing in the small clients who wouldn't have the opportunity to make wine otherwise, you know? I know, I know he had several GMs who tried to convince him to bring in some big boys so he could really make some money, and he was like, no, that's not the point of this, you know? I really want to support the folks who, who need a home. So, so Doug set you straight and said, it's a great opportunity. And take the job. Take yeah. the job. Because as lab director, let me guess, so you're doing all the analysis basically for all these different clients. All those wines. So you're seeing yeah. how all these super duper winemaker folks, are you involved in, are you finding out what they're doing, what kind of yeast they use, what they, how they oh, everything. Over, everything? Everything, yeah. I started <laughs> as lab director and then I became assistant winemaker there. So I call it my Napa Wine Company University. Oh man, you, know? you, you learned all the secrets from everybody. Oh, it was so cool. And, and not only that, but like, it was a really warm welcome to the business. You know, Heidi would be doing like, trials and she'd be like elizabeth come over taste with me nice. you know uh aaron green would do the same like it was such a pam star was there i mean there were so many people uh john gibson was making fraser there there were i mean sean Capio. right I, I could go on there's so many like the who's who of nafa right we're making wine there um so i just can't tell you how grateful i am for that period uh it was well, because, uh, yeah because if you're at your own place by yourself or you got your assistant winemaker maybe or something like that it's just that's all you have is your fruit and your wines and that's it it's um exactly wow. exactly and 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 also just the discovery you know that there's a lot of roots to making great wine mm -hmm. right um, there's a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of different approaches, philosophies, and to kind of get exposed to all of that under one roof um, was just, you know, kind of a great, uh, a great launching pad, I think, for me, and a great way to get to know, um, get to know all of Napa. You know, well, you so, get to know people, you get to know growers, you find out, you, you kind of get, you know, because that's like when you start sourcing grapes, you know, you, it's usually somebody knows somebody who knows somebody, you know, that type of thing. So I got to ask you one question. Did you meet a guy named Randy Mason? I love Randy Mason. You, Randy Mason was the best. Yes, you, absolutely. He was making his Sauvignon Blanc there. Right. Um, and this was like before Pomelo. He was making just the Mason brand. And he was also the winemaker for, for Napa Wine Company's uh, wines at that time. Right. He, uh, he's just retired a few, few months ago. But um, 
I haven't you, seen him in forever. Yeah, he's doing great. You probably don't know that he and I have quite a relationship. He, um, he was my first boss in the business. Oh, I didn't, didn't know that. There you go. That's why we do the podcast. And <laughs> so, where, wait, where was that? It was a little place called Lake Spring Winery, which was south of Yountville on Hoffman Lane. I think it's owned by Joel Gott now. That's a, it's a facility. Oh, wow. And I started, I was his cellar rat assistant winemaker, truly just a cellar rat. God, what was the first year? 1981. Uh, I came back from teaching school and got a job. It was just a two-man operation, and we were making Cab, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc, and Chardonnay. But Ra- Randy, Elizabeth, you know, I had the, the, the whole enology thing, but Randy taught me how to work a cellar, you know, Right. How to move right. wine, how to hot wire yeah. a forklift, how to, you know, bottling right. this, you know, filter yeah. this, how to wash a tank right and wrong. I mean, I was with him two or three years before I came over to Schaefer, but man, that guy taught me how to, he, the production, his strength was just fantastic. It was so efficient. Yeah. So those skills stayed with me forever and um, still a very, very good friend. But, um, I figure you didn't know that one. So that that is a cool connection. Yeah. I six degrees everywhere you turn. <laughs> it's awesome. All right. So how long were you at um, Napa Wine Company? So I was there from 2000 to 2002, a couple okay. of years. A couple of years. And Lila Bacchus, my old friend who had been Doug's assistant, um, and this is kind of funny, uh, she decided she was kind of bored with wine, believe it or not. I don't know how that happens. But she decided she was going to go to medical school. So she applied to med school and uh, got in. Now she delivers babies in Chicago. Oh, and I was asked by Doug to come join him. So um, That's great. I, yeah, and I, you know, I, I had learned a lot at Napa Wine Company, but I really was ready to get my feet in the vineyards. Like, that was the component that I was missing there in some ways. And so I came running because I knew it was a cab estate, and, um, and Doug and I had gotten along, and I just, I knew that, was, that would be a good next move. Super. So, so off to Chimney Rock you go. So let's take a break from your story. Um, Give us, the, give us the Chimney Rock story. Yeah, so Chimney Rock uh, kind of got started in the early 80s, you know, so kind of that heyday post-Paris tasting of 76, right, which mm-hmm. kind of put our little neighborhood on the map. Um, so Hack and Stella Wilson were the founders of Chimney Rock. Hack had been a Pepsi executive. He's the guy who brought Pepsi to South Africa. I'm That's sure right. you knew Hack yeah, and Stella. I did. They decided uh, in the late 70s that they were interested in owning a winery. They, they first actually went shopping in Bordeaux, mm-hmm. and um, Hack actually knew Alexis Lachine, and Lachine's counsel to him was, you should go look in Napa. Napa is going to be a, a, the next great region wow. that's developing. Wow. Yeah. And so a, so, French, a Frenchman uh, said that. What do you think? That's, yeah, that's great. how about that? How about that? Um, anyway, he came out and found this 140-acre property and bought it. And as you know, the history it was an 18-hole golf course at the time. It was a great and, course. I used to play yeah, it with my dad all the time. 
<laughs> I bet. Yeah, just, I you bet. Know, just a mile away from the home ranch here. It was great. Yeah, no, and good. we still we still find golf balls out there. By the way, the spirit <laughs> the spirit is still alive. There you go. Um, anyway, they pulled out the the you know the first nine holes, planted some vines, and first vintage of Chimney Rock was 1984. And um, you know, Hack's kids were not really interested in taking over the business at the time. And mm-hmm. so Hack knew that he had to find somebody to, you know, make, continue to make his dreams come true about this super premium, you know, Appalachian dedicated uh, Cabernet house. And uh, the the story goes that he, it was sold at a blind auction and it was sold not to the biggest bidder, but uh, to the family that, Hack thought would make the investments that he thought were required to make the property really blossom. Huh. And that family was the Trilato family out of Chicago, as you know. Right. Um, so they, uh, they became part owners in 2000 and then uh, full owners in 2003. Okay. And then they also owned, or still do, I think, Rutherford Hill Winery up the street. They do. They Got own it. Rutherford Hill, and then they also own Sanford down on the Central Coast. And uh, they've actually just bought a little vineyard up in Washington. They have a Clipson Vineyard, which is a famous vineyard up there. So they've continued to make some investments. In, uh, in, and, and actually a little bit of... Uh, property in Friuli as well. I don't know if you know about that, but no. there's a Trilado Pinot Grigio. As you know, they, uh, the patriarch of the family, Tony Trilado, who sadly we lost mm-hmm. um, last year. Uh, Tony really was the guy who put Pinot Grigio on the map in the U.S. with uh, the Santa Margarita brand. And uh, so they they really wanted to pursue their own brand and uh, started doing that a few years ago as well. That's neat. I like that. So they, they took over ownership, I think it was 2004. And then um, in 2005, what happened to you? So, yeah, I, I, Doug got me to, you know, the head honcho VP winemaking for all the properties, and um, I, I got promoted to winemaker. So my first uh, wow. head winemaking gig at Chimney Rock, I'd been here for three years and uh, just jumped right in. Oh, that's neat. And then you were, but you were still working with Doug because he was overseeing all the properties. Of the yeah, tour. yeah, cool. absolutely. And Doug, Doug was super involved yeah. in the vineyards. He, he kind of let me do the winemaking, but he was very much um, involved in, you know, all of the farming, et cetera. I would guess that was probably a pretty smooth transition. Yeah, knowing it Doug. was, yeah, it was very smooth. Yeah, nice, really nice. easy, really easy. So you didn't get thrown into the, you know, the big pot like. Good luck. See ya. <laughs> exactly. No, not at all. Not at all. So you're making wine, and then uh, something cool happened in 2009, I found out, and which I did not know about. I think, oh, that's uh, funny. They we went back to Davis. They asked you back. What happened there? Yeah, I got, uh, <laughs> I got a phone call, uh, uh, and I was asked to do a commencement speech for the, the Graduate School of Sciences, which... I mean, I have to tell you, I was ten. I was ten years out of school. Right. I was like, "What do I have to say?" <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I of course, 
heard the call to action. I was like, listen, if somebody thinks you have something to say, maybe you do. Maybe you should just, you know, listen. And so I, I did the commencement speech to a room of 5,000 people, wow. which, was, <laughs> which was definitely my biggest public speaking gig uh, till then. Super. Um, what was, do you remember what the topic was? I'm curious. You know, I think I talked a lot about, um, I talked a lot about getting to know the people and, and keeping your relationships with people that you're in school with. Hmm. because they become your professional family and kind of drawing a parallel to how how that had transpired for me um, and that and, th- and that that's a true story when I went to Davis I remember I went to the um, like the welcome barbecue and I was talking to Roger Bolton and I said so Roger like if you were to sum you know what I should get out of Davis in one sentence like what would that be and he said, get to know your peers, you know, uh-huh. taste with them, spend time with them, nurture those relationships. And that, that surprised me that that's what he said, you know, I thought he would. Uh, and, um, and I, but I took his advice to heart. And, um, you know, I think uh, not just the network of people that you went to school with that was in your class, but beyond that, right, Davis does become a family. And then once you move to Napa, it's all one big, ha- you know, happy family. Right. So, right. you know, we are, and people, you know, I tell people that, and they kind of look at me like, "Come on, you're BSing me." Um, you know, you guys all don't, you, you guys all don't get along that well. It's like, well, yeah, we do. I mean, there's really no animosity. We're all kind of working with Mother Nature and hoping for a good year, and nobody wishes ill will on anybody else around here. It's no, like, let's, let's I all, mean, let's all grow. You know, let's, let's have a good season, get some grapes, and make some wine. And, Go for it. Yeah, and I, I think that's unique to Napa in some mm-hmm. ways. I think the sense of camaraderie here is sort of extraordinary. I can't say that I've visited a wine region where I felt kind of those ties as you know as strongly. And I and I honestly, Doug, like that's how I feel. I believe that I I don't care if you know a consumer drinks my neighbor's wine. What we all want is um, to have a, a greater appreciation for wine, I think, in our culture, um, ultimately. And of course, we want our businesses to do well, but whether they love Schaefer or they love Chimney Rock or they love, you know, Clos de Val, like, there's plenty of wine to go around and right. there's plenty of people, right? What's so fun? We, we, we don't have to compete. No, God, just one wine in the world would be really boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got exactly. I got to tell you a funny story when you're talking about Davis Grad School experience I had gosh I was probably about 35 36 37 and they they might still do it they had a during the spring I guess they have a Friday afternoon Friday evening barbecue but the deal was they'd get a speaker come in and speak to the enology grad students you know for an hour or so you know, yeah. A little talk, question yeah. answer. You probably have done it. Yeah. And then afterwards, you, there's a barbecue with those grad students. You hang out and chit chat and all that. And so they asked me to do it. I said yes, and I was like, Oh no, grad students, because I was I was never in grad school. I was I got a teaching credential, but you know, in enology, I was just undergrad, and the grad students right. were always those right. those 
older people, those really, <laughs> those really mature people, you know, it's, you know, it's like, and they're really smart because they're grad students. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm 36 years old going, I got to prep this talk to grad students. What am I going to do? They're so That's smart. Hilarious. They're so smart. And I'm scared. I'm, I've never, you know, by this point, I'd been on the road for 10 years doing winemaker dinners and sales meetings and everything. And I was, Elizabeth, you, you would have cracked up. I remember Elias was like, why are you sweating this so much? I said, because they're grad students. And so I, I worked on this like speech, you know, a talk with talking points and what my experience has been and, you know, challenges I've had and successes I've had. And I threw in some jokes and, you know, I got, and there was like 30 students in this room. It was a Friday afternoon at four o'clock and and they were so young. <laughs> they were, oh, so, they were that's like, hilarious. they looked like they were in high school. I was like, going, and I, you know, I, I laid out the whole thing, and they all kind of just looked at me, you know, knowing maybe a couple of questions. I was thinking, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions. No, a couple. It's like, let's go have a beer and have a barbecue, and that was that. But boy, that's funny. Isn't that funny? Perspective, like, right? Grads, just perspective. Grads, students, grads, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, you know. Your your life, your career, pre-med track, all science, go into winemaking, a couple different jobs, winemaker, and then and then you get uh, general manager. When did that happen at Chimney Rock? So that happened in 2011. Wow. Ten and years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. And I, yeah, it's funny. The Trelato family approached me about doing that. And my first reaction was, wow, I'm so flattered, but um, I really want to keep my hands in wine and in the vineyards. That's my love. So I, I kind of said, I, I want to have an if and out clause. Okay. <laughs> I'll try it out. If I feel like I'm, you know, only looking at P&Ls and doing spreadsheets, I, I, I want to reserve the right to come back to you and say, you know what, <laughs> I, I'm not having enough time to make wine and do the vineyards. But um, as, it, as it turned out, um, I, it was okay, you know, mm. and it was kind of learning the side of the business that I wasn't that exposed to, which was important too. Um, and I felt like we're small enough that I, I still had time for the winemaking. Good. And I still had time for the vineyards. And, um, you know, I was definitely intimidated by it because I, I didn't have an MBA. So it was learning on the job. Uh, but uh, but it, uh, just immensely flattered with the trust that they put in my hands and you know they knew that I had a passion for the place and their priority was you know quality first that's one of Tony's mottos and they thought that having the winemaker in charge of the business would help keep quality the priority and um, so I felt very fortunate and I've been doing it since then so wow. What? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how you do it. How do you juggle it all? You must have. You must be super organized. Well, you you are super organized. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, strong team, right? We all know the term yeah. winemaker is a little bit of a misnomer. I have an amazing assistant winemaker, an amazing cellar master, um, and I I couldn't make wine without them, obviously. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but uh, I still, my priority is still the wine in the vineyards, Doug, like I will tell you that. And, and kind of the way the business is structured, like we have a vice president of direct-to-consumer, so there's somebody who's actually doing the DTC, Got it. you know, kind of the logistics, et cetera. Got it. And speaking of vineyards, you've got how many, are all your vineyards in Stags Lead? They are. So we wow. have 105 acres planted right around the winery, um, mostly Cabernet, about 80%, a little Merlot, a little Cab Franc, a little Petit Verdot, a little Malbec. And um, I don't know if you know this, little secret, well-kept secret, we have a single row of Fiano uh, in the <laughs> middle of our Cab Franc, which is kind of strange. Fiano is an Italian grape from Campania, from the southern part of Italy. Okay. And uh, Doug, I don't know, he, I guess he went to Italy with his wife and they had a lovely time and he loved the grape. <laughs> and he, he convinced Hack to plant a row of this. It's been there since 1995 and it actually does quite well in Napa's heat, like it retains acidity. It's like, it's kind of awesome. Nice. And uh, it wasn't, we never made it commercially until a couple of years ago. And so we make a whopping like 16 cases of this little Italian grape, which is kind of funny. Okay. And then we have some, we have another vineyard that we work with for our whites and that's up in Rutherford on Me Lane. Okay. So we, we have both Sauvignon Blanc and Sauvignon Gris up there. Nice. And those are the two white grapes that we primarily work with. Super. And what's current lineup varietals wise as far as what you guys are selling? What do you have? Well, in, in distribution, we do our estate cab, which is kind of the ambassador. It's mm -hmm. like a blend of the entire property. And then we do our proprietary blend called Elevage. And we do, we do a number of single vineyards out of the property, but only Tomahawk is distributed in the market. Um, and then we do uh, a white blend, which is a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Sauvignon Gris. And those are kind of the four wines that go into distribution, so restaurants and retail. And then the rest of our wines are pretty small production, you know, 200 to 400 cases of this single vineyard, that single vineyard. And um, and, and those like, are those available what, at the winery? and At the winery, okay. exactly. Or, or mainly being in the club. Uh, a lot of them are kind of cl club exclusives, so. That's kind of neat. Tell me, yeah, if yeah. people are looking for your wines, obviously restaurants, retail stores around the country, I'm, I'm assuming, but um, also is there, you mentioned a club, is that the, another way they can do it? Yeah, we have our little club called the Palisade Society, and um, you basically commit to getting a case of wine a year, and you get, you know, a bottle of each of these special wines we do like I said, seven single vineyard Cabernets, and then we do a little bit of Cabernet Franc, some Merlot. Um, I think the, that's that, that's kind of it, but you get those, and you get the other wines that we distribute um, in advance of release. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a cool. pretty cool club. Good, good to know. Um, new project at the winery for you? Anything in the in the hopper right now? Oh God, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> she says think, with relief. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I think right now the focus is really, um, you know, we we worked on getting Napa Green certified both in vineyards and winery, and we're going to continue that. Um, so that involves, you know, quite a bit of work, and I think really, um, I think thinking actively about sustainability 
is front of mind. You know, given the couple of years that we've lived through in Napa, we know climate change is a reality. So I think really thinking about those things and what our long-term plans are, uh, I think that's, that's sort of where my head's focused. Mm -hmm. Good, good. So kind of want to end on a personal note. So it's been a tough year. We're getting our vaccines. We're venturing back, but back out. But uh, I saw on Instagram that you got to do something pretty cool recently. So tell me about seeing your folks after 14 months. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. My, my parents are just the loves of my life. My dad is 93. Wow. Um, and mom's 77. And I literally, prior to the pandemic, I would go see them once a month. That's how close I am to them. Um, and they live so they, where they live. They, they, live. they live in Maryland okay. now okay. Uh, with my sister. And so... Um, it was it was really challenging to be far away from them mm -hmm. and know that I couldn't see them as it was for you know the entire country we all went through the same thing, um, but to see them see those smiles again was uh, hmm. I I can't even put it into words you know kind of the emotion and you realize you realize when you see each other what a tough thing you've just been through, yeah. you know? And, and we've all been very brave and, you know, resilient and managed, managed our businesses, continued to work. But um, this is stuff that really hits you at the core, right? You know, we're, we're people people. And uh, you know, I don't care what you say about virtual and Zoom and something's changing in the future, you know, to be more virtual, but uh, I don't know. I think people to people is really important. Um, it is yeah. for me. I know that. So absolutely, I yeah. totally agree. Totally agree. All right, so I'm going to get in my car and run down and give you a hug in your parking lot or a virtual uh, hug. <laughs> I know we need to actually have lunch or something. Um, well, stop I by. Think we that would can, be we really can stop fun. by and drink in the parking lot. We, you know, we can tailgate. You know, I remember seeing kids doing that. We, can, I'll pull my car and we'll sit on the tailgates and you know the parking lot. Totally. We New, New Stag's Leap tradition. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Friday afternoon tailgates. Awesome. <laughs> I like it. I love it. All right. I love it. Elizabeth, thank you for your time. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time. Such a pleasure, Doug. Thank you. It's been an honor to, to be chatting with you. You bet. We'll take care. We'll see you around. See you soon. Have a good See you one. soon. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm really glad I finally got a chance to do a podcast with Elizabeth. She's one of those people who just seems to be good at everything. In her case, it's science, music, winemaking, running a great business, and being a really great person. If you get a chance, check out the wine she and her team are making at Chimney Rock. I think you'll find a lot to enjoy. If you enjoy what you hear on The Taste and want to help other people find the podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, see you next time. Take it easy. Everybody be good out there.